Veteran Radio. I'm Ray Burton and welcome to another Let's Talk Gardening podcast. Our mission is to provide listeners with interesting, informative topics and up-to-date information. My co-host is Faya Caro, an award-winning gardener, horticulturalist and media presenter. Faye's passion is educating people. Oh, and she loves bugs a lot too. My passion is simply beautiful, healthy gardens. And together each week, we cover many great gardening subjects. Saturday mornings come around again, and it's time for Let's Talk Gardening. Well, hello and good morning. I'm Gillian Bush taking and keeping the chair warm for Ray while she's having some time off. Many thanks to Alan Simons for his early morning start this morning. Today, my co-presenter is Faye Caro, someone you all know well. A lady who has more knowledge of bees and trees, bugs and shrubs, flowers and fauna. And she's ready and willing to answer your questions and give advice about your gardens on the other side of the desk. Good morning, Faye. Good morning, Gillian. And there's a couple more things we could add to that. Fungi and slime moulds. <laughs> <laughs> They're wonderful. Are they? They are. And now's a great time of the year to be finding them. And, you know, if you went down a bush path or a bush track and found some rotting wood, fallen wood, of which there is quite a bit down at the moment, the older ones can be a tre- treasure trove or a little fairyland. You would be very likely to find some scarlet bracket fungus that comes back year after year, orange in colour. There's mushrooms popping up and you'll find them often first thing in the morning. Some are gone by lunchtime. Really? And then slime moulds that when the it's been very wet and the sun comes out, they can be brightly covered, although they're very small. The, the trick is when you look close, look closer again. Get down on the ground and you just may find these amazing web-like plasmodiums creeping across <laughs> the forest floor before well, they I, burst into life. Oh, thankfully I'm usually still storing my little head off when all that is happening. <laughs> it gets too cold out there. Okay, we've got uh, Bev out there, our PA on the other side of the glass. Thank you, Bev. And we've got John Glidden, our go-to guru, on the computer to back us up on any curly bits of information. It's good, always good to have him here. Now, just after our first break this morning, we will be speaking with Chris Oliver. He has at least 50 years as a horticulturist and has some interesting tips about keeping citrus trees looking their best during the summer months in WA. I shall be hanging on every word that he <laughs> says. Uh, after nine o'clock, we will also speak with Bob Hunter, who is currently chair of the Cactus and Succulent Society of WA. That's quite difficult. With lots Bit of, of a issues. mouthful. Mm. Uh, talking about winter flowering succulents like aloes and their pest mites and what to look for and then deal with those pesky little mites. We have a quiz for you. Uh, um, with a fantastic prize from Bigger Trees. We have emails to get through. I can see that Faye is almost disappearing under them. Uh, it's going to be a busy day. So fingers crossed that I push the buttons. Oh, <laughs> we can always live in hope. <laughs> and our phone lines are open, of course, at 94841927. If you have any queries, 
about things happening in your garden. Now, our email address is gardening at curtainfm.com.au. So it looks like today's going to be a lot of fun. So, Faye, have you been out and about and what news have you got? Apart from your green slime. Well, this morning I got a load of sheep manure. Did I say this morning? Early in the week I, I got a say, load of sheep manure. Gee, you've been in, up early. And I had heard that it was going to rain on Monday. So I had a friend come over and we beavered away getting things tidy up, tidied up because we had prunings laying around. There was tree branches down after the storms. And I managed to give my fruit trees, particularly the deciduous ones, a lovely top up of sheep manure. So that was a good job to get done on Monday before the rains came and that started to wash everything in. And then yesterday I headed up to Araluan. But I'll tell you more about that later. We've got Caroline on the line. So we, we, we have, will we have. speak to her first. We can say hello to Caroline. Good morning, Caroline. You're from Dianilla. You're up at about early this morning and you've got a question about a passion fruit vine. Be good I opened your <laughs> microphone too. <laughs> How can we help you, Caroline? Caroline is there. Caroline is not there. We'll try again. Caroline, are you there? All right, we'll do this one. Caroline, are you there? Yes, I am. Oh, I found you you at last. Yes, yes, we can. Lovely, thank you. Now, was it your email that got sent through to us? Yes, with those photos. Yes, okay. That's in the stem. so the the photo that you've sent, it looks like a cocoon of one of the lepidoptera, so butterfly or moth pupa. That, yeah, and did you say you found that in the stem or under the bark? It was in the stem. Half the stem is rotted away. My friend, it's spongy, and she put her finger. She could put it almost halfway through the stem, but the other side's okay. So where there's, I sent you quite a few photos, and one of them's, um, I don't think the one you're looking at is mine, because the photo I sent you, it's brown, and it was moving around. Yes, wiggling. Yep, that's what I've, yep. I've got. They do, yeah, and yeah. that's the stage between the caterpillar and what yeah. will aver- emerge, moth or butterfly. If I was you, I would keep, yeah. keep that in a container, and I yeah. would uh, put a, a bit of bark around it, because... What it has done, it's gone and hidden under the bark of your passion fruit. So that's where it likes to be, undercover. Yeah, but the passion fruit's rotting. Okay, but what I'm saying is to work work out what you've got, you you keep that cocoon and you wait for it to hatch. It probably will hatch in the next month or so, so it won't take very long. So the passion fruit... uh, could have something like collar rot or stem rot. And there isn't a lot that you can do to repair that. Um, how old is the passion fruit? About four years old. Okay. And they do have a limited life, four years yeah. being about the cutoff. So, you know, this may or may not go on and, and fruit this year. I wouldn't give up on it just yet. I would cut it back... Uh, about 20% and that will encourage some new growth and it may just limp through and you may get some fruit off it this summer. But I would go ahead and plant another vine. I would be careful not to get a grafted 
one because of the yeah. problems that there are with suckering. And when you plant yeah. it, now is getting to be a, a good time to do that. I always plant a liver underneath. I know they say it might be an old wives' tale, but we always did it and the the blood that comes from a liver boosts the, the soil organisms and certainly does help the passion fruit. Oh, iron, lots of iron, livers. Mm. Yes. Oh, okay, yeah, I don't mind doing that at all. That, <laughs> I think that sounds all right. All right, that's a, yeah. a good activity for you. Yes, it is. Uh, so can I, that was a sunshine special. I'm still getting passion fruit off it, by the way. Yes. It's not yeah. even still producing. And I've got brand new leaves on it because I reckon the mint started this whole thing. I had a bed of mint all around its roots and I think it was just too stressful. Well, and that also tells you that that's quite a damp environment. So make sure that you oh. keep the the soil or mulch away from the track. And this goes for just about all trees. You can make a well around it, but don't put mulch and soil up yeah. too close to the collar of the plant oh, because it can I rot. Mm. Yeah, I thought it was me. Oh, lovely. Thanks for your help with that. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay, bye. 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 And for anyone bye. listening who does have passion fruit dropping off the vine at the moment that maybe isn't fully ripe, you can put them into a, a rice bag and they do colour up. Only takes a few weeks. Oh. So all is not lost. All is not lost. Thank heavens for that. <laughs> Thank you, Caroline. Now, we've got Jane Wilson on the telephone, and Jane comes from uh, Wilson. No, Jane is from Wilson. I'll get it right, <laughs> won't we? And she has a lamandra grass doing, and it has scale, I believe. Now, good morning to you, Jane. Has maybe Bev still got her on? I don't know. Good morning, Jane. No, Will we fill in with another quick email? No. Oh. Good morning, Joan. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. We can hear you. Hello, <laughs> you've got a problem with lamandra grass. Yeah, I think it's a longifolia and it's got scale. I've been spraying it with white oil, but I'm not sure whether they're dead or not. Oh, okay. All you have to do is just gently scrape where they are. If they're dead, they will just flick off easily and they will be dry. If you press them between your fingers and they're gooey, then they're still alive. So you you may have to spray a couple of times. The other thing that you can do with your lamandra at this time of year is cut it down. Cra yeah, crown, cut it? Okay. Mm. So is uh, it in the look, centre? I'm, I'm just thinking, is it scale? Because it, it looks like it, but it's not a scale that I've got that I get, say, on a fig tree that's that red, sappy one. Okay. It's different. It's quite flat and it's black and round. It does sound like scale. There are many, many different types. And sure. they they occur where there's not a lot of airflow. So down in the crevices yes. where, you know, it might stay moist and the leaves are, are close together. Yep, that's what's happened. Okay. All right, I'll continue spraying just with the eco oil, yeah? Okay, that sounds good. Thanks very much. Okay, Thanks, bye. Jane. Bye. Thanks for calling. Bye. And that, that's it we've got for at the moment. So if you'd like to get along with uh, your emails. That will be lovely, Gillian. 
So this one has come in from Edward and there's a photo of three pots with some cuttings with some buds ready to burst. And Edward says he took a small cutting from a fig tree two months ago, placed in water in a sealable bag, but not fully closed. And he said roots appeared within three weeks. So he's now transferred them into small pots. And how quick is that? And what a great education, well, not just for us, but for children as well, to learn how plants develop and adapt. So often, particularly figs, are a very easy plant to take cuttings of. Hardwood cuttings at this time of year are easy to root. And you can just put them in the soil with two nodes below the soil and two nodes above. And before you know it, the, the buds will take off and the leaves will open and you'll have new plants. And you can do that with a lot of things at the moment. Gillian? Mm. We did some garlic the other day and put it in a... Um, we suspended it in, in water. And literally, you chop the top off it so you can see the little green shoots. Yes. And then literally the next day, the little green shoots sort of started to come up within... I think five days, the garlic um, on the top was probably about three or four inches long. It's amazing, isn't it? The stored energy mm. in a bulb, in a corm, in a seed is amazing. And once conditions for their dormancy or to break dormancy hit, might be daylight, moisture, etc. Boom, away they go. And they don't need any fertilizer initially no. to get going. The roots will go down and yeah. the shoots will go the, up. The nest of roots that came down was absolutely amazing. So we've planted it up. It's time for a break. Well, okay, our next call is from Jane and she's from Manning and she's got, uh, the comment of hers is parsley and a lemon tree in a, in a pot. Good morning to you, Jane. You're with uh, uh, Faye. Go ahead. Thank you very much. Now, the, the parsley, the leaves are going bright yellow. I don't know what I'm doing wrong, whether I need to fertilise it or, or what. I mean, the middle of it's very healthy, but the outside ones are sort of going bright yellow. Okay, that's quite normal for this time of year. The weather has given um, plants a bit of a hammering. And it's, it's probably just the cold and the wet. If it is in a pot, make sure that it's got good drainage. And certainly the outer leaves, just pull off the, the yellow daggy ones. Are you picking it a lot, Jane? Not at the moment, no. Okay. But if you do, you will encourage new growth as well. So it, it wouldn't happen probably if you're using the parsley a lot because you would always be cleaning up the plant, taking off the older leaves and giving way to the new leaves. So just use more parsley. Um, use more parsley. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and and what's the trick with the, the lemon tree? Uh, it's in a pot and it's the leaves are going, they're going a bit yellow and uh, the leaves are falling off. It's, as I said, it's in a pot. Have you given it any food lately? No, it's just starting to flower again. So okay. Um, no, that sounds yep not not surprising. Weather can have a big effect on plants, and particularly this last week with the cold, the amount of rain, and the hail that we had, 
plants. Well, well, if I can just interrupt for a minute, it's not outside. It's under under shelter, under the veranda. So okay. It's not outside. All right. So I would check moisture levels because if it has dried out, then certainly uh, leaves can drop. And going through winter because it has been cold, the the plants are not growing that well. So the the cold means that they can't take up nutrients. They're kind of in a sleep pattern. Leaves can go yellow and fall off. I would check though that it has got enough water. And actually, we'll when we speak to Chris Oliver, we will learn a bit more about how you can tell if your your plant is wet enough or has enough moisture. Uh, just around the corner um, with your plant flowering, also think about giving it a feed. Uh, it will probably lose or lose about ninety five percent of the flowers. Only five percent will set fruit. But because it's in a pot, it relies on you for everything. The moisture, yes, the nutrients. Yes, of course, of course. A controlled release fertilizer is perfect for a pot and and probably even a liquid poured over the leaves. Half strength will help that plant uh, hang on to more fruit than it would have otherwise. Uh, should I wait till after the fruit develops then fertilize it? Um, as you said, I fertilize it the last long time last year and I, I lost all the flowers except two, only got two fruit off it and they're the size of golf balls. It's If it is a small plant then you wouldn't expect to get a lot of fruit uh, a liquid will be very mild but the, the reason that we do fertilise is because it needs a lot of nutrients, both macro and micronutrients and, and what I find about the slow release is it is already there and the plant can get what it needs. So I would put that on now because the, the plant needs it now. Uh, and I've been doing mine over the last couple of weeks. So, uh, yes. And what was the, if I can ask again, what was the half strength you said to use? Liquid, like a... a Fertilizer, liquid fertilizer for flowering and fruiting plants, and the the tree will be able to take that up more instantly than a controlled release fertilizer sprinkled around the pot. Thank you very much for your help. My pleasure, Jane. Have a great day. Thanks, Thank Jane, for calling. Bye bye. Now we have. Um, luckily, we have John. No, we don't. We, there is no John. <laughs> Luckily, we have Chris Oliver on the telephone. Uh, Fifty years of experience with horticulture, and um, he's done thirty-three years at TAFE, uh, and he is full of knowledge. I had Chris to my garden a couple of weeks ago, pruning my fruit trees because sometimes you just have to delegate jobs, and um, I knew I. I was putting them in good hands. And Chris said something to me when we talked about how we were going to manage with two days a week watering. He said, well, he has water problems and some of his trees only need watering fortnightly. My so, goodness. Chris, are you there? Yep, yep, I'm here. <laughs> well, I'm, I need to hear the answers to this me as too. to all of our listeners. <laughs> Great. Okay, well, look... Uh, I'll begin my discourse. Good morning to Gillian and, and you, Faye, and listeners. 
Um, I've got a little bit of a um, um, resume here just on water-saving ideas for the home garden and um, maybe it could be stretched to orchards and commercial as well too. So Fantastic. Um, if I can go through, just stop me if we if we're um, uh, raving on too much. Um, okay, uh, first of all, just um, looking at um, above ground areas, uh, the two aspects of um, collecting uh, water and applying water. I thought mentioned straight away. Now, with collecting, most people are um, conversant with um, the need for um, installation of rainwater tanks, even if you're on scheme, because. Uh, a rainwater tank can, as we all know, can give great benefits to uh, making more delicious uh, jellies and uh, better tasting tea and so forth from beautiful rainwater. But one little hint that uh, I've had from experience, when you do install your rainwater tank, make sure that your valves are closed each time you use it after using because from bitter experience, I've forgotten sometimes and have lost a lot of water. So it's just a good little hint to keep saving that water that you've collected. With applying your water, the main thing that people sort of um, get confused is that they keep on watering their trees uh, at the base of the trunk. Uh, and that's the worst thing you can do as far as the trees being able to take up water because their main... Uh, roots, the fibrous root systems are around the drip line or the edge of the canopy of the foliage and so if you're putting on reticulation or your hand watering of course it's important to uh, uh, make sure your sprays actually water that area just slightly inside and outside the drip line because that's where all the, the most important fibrous roots are for uptaking of moisture as well so that's the first thing. Um, if I've got time, we've got just quickly below ground. And a couple of important points there. One about penetration, getting the water into the soil. Okay. The first thing is, as we know, we've got problems, and that's probably been mentioned on the the radio before about the uh, problems with um, uh, drying sands here with waxy layers on them and not able to get water in, and hence a lot. The soil products for these, which probably most people know about, of course, which can help to penetrate. And um, also um, use um, coarser mulches in the summer as well, too, uh, because we've got to allow the moisture to get through. It's mm. important not to use your compost on uh, as a mulch, but to use your compost in adding to the soil. Okay, for so all So, Chris, if, if you've got established trees though how is it okay to to put that layer around the drip line and then put mulch on top because it would be very hard to get it into the soil once yeah, the trees are established yeah. yeah for sure yeah if you've got uh, your compost you could put it down on the surface of course just before you put your mulch on top but I'd say um, if you're going to do it on then that layer where the absorption takes place is rake it in so that okay. sort of gets uh, into the soil a little bit more before you put your uh, your mulching on top. Absolutely. Uh, we've got, um, I live over near the ocean and we get that sort of, we've got that what we call bassendine sand that sort of won't let the water through unless you're constantly at it and putting, you know, products, wet, yep. and products on it. Yep. 
Yeah. Well, that's partly is the problem, of course, to the waxy layer on the organic matter, the leaves and so forth that have come from past times. And that's the, where the wetter soil comes in. But also we can improve moisture holding, of course, by, as we know, by adding humus, uh, as mentioned, uh, plus raw organic matter too, because uh, it's important not just to add the humus, uh, which is a decomposed organic matter, but also the continual future supply of the raw organic matter to rot down. So uh, when you say humus, do you mean compost? Yeah, I mean the finer particles of compost, the, okay. the actual particles which can release the, the, uh, the nutrients. So they're in, embedded basically, in the compost as it decomposes. Okay. What do you mean by the raw organic? Are we, are we digging raw, in things like bananas, leaves and Well, bananas? also you know, things like sawdust and things like that, which, you know, the, the raw organic matter is uh, undecomposed organic matter, which, of course, draws down nitrogen, as we all know, from the soil, and therefore we've got to add extra nitrogen. And that's the problem with a lot of our soil mixes is they have, do have a lot of um, this raw or partly decomposed organic matter in them. And uh, so we've got to add some sort of finer material to soil mixes to not just um, add extra nutrients there, organic nutrients, but also to help um, build in and bind in the moisture content. Um, most uh, mixes are, as we've tested before when I was um, lecturing at... Um, at TAFE is we found that most mixes have uh, very high drainage rates and they drain quickly which means they dry out quickly so we need to add a lot of fines into those mixes uh, to help build that moisture holding. Chris, what other raw organic matter apart from sawdust do you suggest? You can use um, anything that's the, your rotting compost material uh, you know kitchen scraps and things like that that have rotted down um, anything that's broken up into a finer grass clipping, sometimes people use as well too. Um, and if you're using those sorts of materials, it's important to, to bind into your compost while you're making it, of course, your manures. Oh, yeah. And uh, I recommend, you know, that if you can get onto um, a pig manure, that's oh. the one that's broken down mostly and has more finer humus in it already. Uh, and then, of course, in order of um, priority, um, um, pulverised cow manure and then, of course, um, sheep manure. But sometimes and pulverised sheep manure is better too than the, the pelletised uh, form that comes. Uh, so uh, all those are sort of um, helpful. But be wary of, of uh, fresh, of course, poultry manure. Mm -hmm. uh, I like to use it in the form of pellets, which um, a lot of people are putting out. Uh, or just add it to your compost because it does have some, when it's very young, mm. raw and fresh, does have some nitrogen, high nitrogen or burette, which it's called, which can burn the roots of young plants. Well, that's fantastic, isn't it? That sounds like a, a layered garden, yes. doesn't it? And, of course, then yeah. topping that with the coarse mulch, as you said. Yeah, yeah. Okay, go uh, on. Yeah, and also now the importance of uh, addition to your soils we talked about the humus and the raw organic matter and compost. Also of most important benefit these days, particularly on our sandy soils, is to add some form of clay particles. 
Now, this is becoming more and more important these days because the reason being is we're trying to improve what we call our soil structure. Now, the soil structure is very important in holding moisture. And the way we do it in sand, of course, is not just adding organic matter, humus, but adding clay particles. And you can get this in a number of forms these days in garden centres and so forth, from the montmorillamite, kaolite and so forth. And it's important to add that. Now, once we've got those ingredients of sand, which is the soil type, your or humus and your compost and your clay particles, they form the basis to forming what we call soil aggregates. And these aggregates allow air and moisture in and moisture held so that it's the ideal situation for plant roots. And these aggregates are what we call stable aggregates because of the clay. Mm -hmm. And the clay is the, is the important material there that binds the aggregates together. If we just have humus and sand, then when it rains, of course, uh, those aggregates or um, uh, combined particles just um, fall down, they actually dissipate. They don't remain stable, but the clay aggregates help to help build aggregates up, which, of course, are um, stable. So that's important. And, of course, if we have the range of soil types from um, sand right through to clays, uh, we have to treat and manage the soil differently according to the soil type, which is sand, silt, loam, loamy clay and so forth, right up to clay. And, of course, uh, you, can, you can test what they are by grabbing a handful and it'll run through your fingers or you can mould it into a ball. So that's one, one way of working out yeah, what yeah. sort of structure you've got. You can do it another quick way. It's just by adding your soil to a, um, a fairly tall glass or something like this or a bottle, giving it a good, really good shake and then just allowing it to settle. And you'll see um, the different layers of the so different soil types as they come out and you can get a rough percentage of how your soil's made up. If it's a lot of sand, that'll sink heavily, of course, and your finer products will be at the top. So you go right through and you might even get a bit of clay and, and you find your silt and your, your humus at the top layer. It needs about, you know, an hour sometimes or two just to settle, but that's a really quick way of, of measuring um, your, your amount of different types of soil particles. So, Chris, you've obviously done this uh, to your trees. Yeah. How, how, like, you told me that some of your trees only need to be watered fortnightly yep yep now the reason what well, what i've done here is one of the best products i've found over many many years to enhance um, organic nutrients in the soil keep holding moisture and to really develop because we've got very gravelly type soils up here that we desperately need a moisture holding is of course um, brewery sludge mm. now, Brewery sludge, I think I've mentioned this to you on occasion, is that uh, it has the highest amount of natural nutrients from it. It can make a wonderful liquid uh, fertiliser as well too from the effluent that comes through it. And um, gradually it'll seep into the soil and give you 
uh, are the, the, probably the best, better than any manures I've used or any compost or mulches, whatever. Um, I've seen thistles, for example, grow to about two metres high and about two or three inches uh, in diameter, just on the edge of a load of brewery sludge. That gives you an idea. But the trouble is these days it's hard to get it because the the soil mixing people have sort of got the market on it and uh, it's very hard to, to get. But if you if you know a local brewery, uh, one of these sort of um, boutique breweries, um, contact them and uh, see if you can uh, buy or take some of their um, brewery sludge because it's 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 a it's a marvellous um, organic material to add. Oh, that sounds like a good tip. Now, how how do you actually know that your trees don't need water? Okay, now that was one of the things I was going to talk about is measurement of your water. There's a couple of different ways we can measure water in our soils and in our pot plants. Um, simply by buying a moisture meter is a quick one, and they're a rough way, but you can um, very, very quickly tell when you're using a moisture meter, it has a little probe that sinks into the soil. You only need to go down to uh, the bottom of the roots and in pots. Make sure you go down to the base of the pot plant because very often people don't water enough water to get to the base and the, the roots dry up at the base. So when you're putting your moisture meter in, make sure you don't leave it in the pot uh, because the little um, anode at the bottom can actually break down uh, with too much moisture. And um, just check the, the level of moisture and that'll tell you straight away whether the plant needs water. Quick one. Um, the installation of a rain gauge is important because that gives you an idea how much water you're getting at your particular area. Okay. Oh, my goodness, Chris, you've got so much information. But I, may I interrupt you for the moment? We will come back to you. Great. Okay. Yep. Just wait there. Curtain Radio. Well, we're back online with Chris um, telling us about um, soil improvement and also citrus tree watering. Hello, back with you, Chris. Hi. Uh, yeah, just a couple of other points on um, measurement. Um, I'd advise um, if you change your soil, in your, particularly if you're using in pots, every two to three years, and depending on the size of the pots, of course, if they're smaller pots, you might have to change it a little bit more often, but... When you change the soil in the pot, not only do you refresh the nutrients and uh, the, um, the freshness of the soil, allowing better aeration and so forth, because after a while, of course, fine material sinks to the bottom of the, the pot and uh, inhibits watering or builds up uh, too much water in the pot. And it's an indication also when you change your soil as to see, you measure if your moisture is getting to the bottom of the pots. That's important. And finally, of course, um, the other measurement thing is um, check on when you're putting in different plants, the individual plant requirements for moisture because you have to vary sometimes, of course, your amount of moisture you're giving according to the plant's requirements. So it's a very important thing. You know, if you're planting cacti, for example, we know that you've got to put them in an open mix where they don't require as much moisture. And um, going back to my um, uh, watering every two weeks, of course, the reason I've uh, had to do that, short of water, but of course they manage quite well because I've built in all the composts and um, clays. I've even put a layer of clay through and, and let that settle into the top of the soil 
to try and sort of form these um, stable aggregates I was talking about before as well too. So it's really a lifetime of work, isn't it? We, you know, I used yeah. to think that you, you dig a hole and you put all the good stuff in and you plant and that's it. You can yeah. just sit back and water and watch your trees flourish. But yeah. it ain't like that at all. It's like we've no. got to go back no. again and top yeah. up and, and monitor and prune and feed and yeah. water. and yeah. Well, yeah. the pots are completely and utterly reliant on us, aren't they? They yeah. are. Mm. Yeah. Well, thank that's you, Chris. That that yeah. helps. That helps. Absolutely. Considering, well, as I said, I've got Bassendine soil uh, yeah. and so it really does need to be tickled up to try and keep moisture in it because it drains well but yeah. uh, but makes everything go really dry. Thank you, Chris, for your time today uh, and your amazing amount of, of knowledge. That was absolutely wonderful. I've got a list here, an entire A4 <laughs> page of what I have to do. <laughs> there was one little point, if I may add, to... Um, mm, please what- do comments on the lady with the citrus in pots, the yellow. Um, I don't know whether you mentioned the importance of pH testing, Faye. I, I uh, didn't know, Chris. No. Please do. That's an important one. You, also, you can buy pH um, testing meters as well. So it's very handy if you don't have the pH around about 6.5 to 7.5, of course, then you won't get nutrient uptake. Mm. And, uh, how much fertiliser you put on the soil, <clears throat> it just won't. It, the the pH doesn't enable you to, the plant to take up moisture. Some plants, as we know, require <clears throat> uh, high more acids, such as azaleas and camellias, for example. And some plants, exactly, it's a case of knowing your plant requirements for pH uptake for moisture. Well, that's that's exactly right. Because if you're if the plant was in the ground and you're on the coastal plain you may have yeah. an alkaline soil. Um, yeah. I, assuming because it's in a pot, that a good quality potting mix would have been used and therefore yeah. I sort of ruled out the pH as being a, a problem. Mm. Yeah, no. Um, very often the pH of potting mixes, of course, um, is slightly acid um, or it could be um, alkaline, but mostly slightly acid. So... You need to check on this as well to make sure you've got moisture uh, in the ground when you do you put your probe in. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Chris, thank you very much. I think we might need to get you back again later to talk about pH and potting mixes and, and yeah. soils. It's a real science, isn't it, Chris? Real, and, and mulches is a whole sort of story background to mulches too that <laughs> um, we could talk about, you know, what types. <laughs> How when to use them, how deep do they go, and so forth. You know. To be continued. <laughs> uh, thank you for your time today, Chris. It's been eye-opening. Yes, thank no, you. No. Thank you. Enjoy. Bye bye. Bye. Now we've got uh, um, we've got a call online too, which is. Uh, Sue, and she's in Forestfield, and she is wondering when the best time to prune an olive tree is. Are you there, Sue? Hi, Sue. Sue. (laughs) Hello. I can hear something going bang, bang. Are you there, Sue? Hello, Sue? Um, No, I don't seem to have Sue. It's just a question. She's not online. 
Okay. <laughs> All right. Oh, well, aren't we so olives dogs? have been fruiting quite recently, and so therefore the best time to to prune is after a tree has finished fruiting, flowering and fruiting. And uh, now is an ideal time to to prune olives. They actually don't need a lot of pruning uh, to develop well. They're quite a nice shaped tree. So you'll prune it to shape and you'll prune it to size. With a lot of our fruit trees, we we try and keep the, the size down so that we can pick them easily. Mm. The wonderful thing about olives is it's very easy to get the fruit off the tree by giving it a shake, but also by having a tarp underneath. And, and that way you can collect your fruit. So you don't have to get to the top of the tree. But pruning out anything uh, dead or diseased, opening it up a little bit and giving it a hard cut back can, can uh, encourage and more. And do you have to try and keep the growth. middle of the, of the olive tree a little bit clear? With, with most plants, so that branches aren't crossing over, but not, not like a rose. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness, we're full of stuff. <laughs> we'll be back in a moment after this break. Kitten Radio. Well, back we are. Now, um, another email? Oh, or would well, you like we've to got Jane, to Jane on the board, so okay. she's ringing back about her lemon tree. Okay, we can call Jane on her lemon tree. Good morning, Jane. You're back again about your lemon tree. Yes, I am. I was listening to the gentleman. Now, he said... Uh, Test the pH. Now, if you change the potting mix, do you have to test the pH level? Well, he he recommended it because citrus can be yellow, uh, unable to take up nutrients if the pH is too high. So people in, in coastal areas that are growing citrus in the ground, because the soil alkalinity is high, higher, uh, if you were to look at a pH scale, you can see what nutrients are available. So sometimes iron can be unavailable and that will encourage or cause yellowing leaves. Oh, I see. So Now, if I test it and find what, what level should it be at then? Well, he said around 7, I think. Uh, yes, he said 6.5 to 7.5 pH oh, for I a lemon tree and a pot. Yes. Mm. So I thought it was interesting that the um, that the range of potting mixes can have different pHs. I yes. I had sort of I tend to use the same quality potting mix all the time, and yes, have, yes I do too. And have found that you know if I'm repotting something, you know I I don't test pH. I, yeah, I just have a regime that seems to work. Uh, and I, what I like about the liquid fertilisers is that they tend to be able to take in the nutrients through their leaves regardless of the pH. So that's why I suggested giving it the, the foliar feed because you would see oh, a, a, a quick right. response, whereas a granular fertiliser does take longer. It's slower acting. Right, so the foliar feed, would that be the... Um, um, you can use uh, Power Feed, miracle Grow, Aquasol, any, any of the liquids for flowering and fruiting plants. Thank you very much for your help. You've been a wonderful help. Thank You're you. You're welcome, Jane. Good luck <laughs> with it. Jane, we're delighted you rang in. Have a <laughs> lovely, lovely day. 
Thank you very much. Bye bye. Bye bye. Now um, we've got uh, some emails to we get have. on with, and you know it's interesting, Gillian, because we have a range of guests on the show over time, and we all have different ways of doing things. Um, you know, Chris had had a wonderful opportunity to divulge a whole lot of information. I do find it difficult sometimes when, you know, I know we're going to a break and we've got a caller on the line mm. and they want to know this and I sort of fire a, f- a few of the quick things to get off. I don't have the the uh, benefit of being able to do a, a session, you know, a yes, lecture yes, session yes. as such. So I do my best to deliver information in a quick amount of time. Well, and it's not easy. Well, it's it's a whole subject, mm, um, you know, growing I mean, citrus and in pots. All yeah. the bits and pieces that he suggested, um, you know, like, you know, or different manures, because um, if you're dealing with pots, of course, you've got varying grades of potting mixes and one hopes that when they say it's chickity-boo at the top well, level... Well, and, and this is why I always... Uh, recommend a quality potting mix that's got all the ticks a premium potting mix yeah. because then I'm kind of ruling out a lot of the the problems or issues not wetting there's no fertilizer in there mm. I mean there's certainly best ways to do things and and frequently repotting or repotting after a period of time if something's been in a pot for five years then Really, maybe it needs to go into the next size pot or at least have its roots trimmed and put back into the pot with some fresh mix and Mm. that can alleviate problems. But the trees tell you, Mm. you know, you can tell when a plant is going backwards and you think to yourself, oh, okay, maybe it is time to repot it. (laughs) (laughs) Another problem that people are having at the moment is the furry black caterpillars and... Uh, Jeannie has sent us in a photo of hers. She said she can't believe how many she's found in her garden. They're on the rhubarb leaves, the tractor seat plants, the geraniums, the sweet peas, just for starters. So she has collected some and thrown them to the chooks. And I can testify that these are food for birds. So there's a lot of, it's bird breeding time Mm. at the moment. I saw a, a pair of ravens on the side of the road this morning canoodling so they'll be nesting and they'll be well we've got a friend who, who's got um, hanging baskets on the wall you know those half hanging baskets and of course she's filled them with that coir matting not whatever mm. it's not the matting and the magpies have pinched them all because they're nesting in the tree outside yes. their house it's wonderful well then the magpies have come around again lately but i hadn't seen them for weeks and months but they're back again and i shared a video this week that I took a few years ago of the magpies collecting these furry black caterpillars and then bashing them on the ground to get that itchy fur off. So clever. clever for, for people who are really concerned about their exotic plants getting munched, another treatment would be dipel or bactericide. It's a caterpillar killer and it is organic. So it shouldn't harm any birds that then... Pick, mm. pick up one of mm-hmm. the odd caterpillars. But it really is only effective when the caterpillars are small. So it, well, When it, he's big and fat. When he's big and fat, it's too long. But it won't be long before they turn into a pupa and hatch out as a moth. And they are actually, these very black caterpillars, the black and white tiger moth. And 
they they're a very pretty brown and white and lovely and furry. Like if you <laughs> if you blew them up in a photo, you would just want to pat their beautiful fur. They just look that gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very squishy are those black caterpillars. They are. I yes, and they they can attack orchids, cymbidiums, which of course might be budding up mm. now, ready for flowering in October. So a good time to protect those plants. If yes. you're growing ferns, it's a good time to rotate the baskets and perhaps start giving a half-strength uh, fertiliser mm-hmm. to green them up because mm-hmm. things are on the move, Gillian. The, these temperatures that we're getting, the odd days of 20 degrees, are absolutely signalling that the change of season yes. is coming. Spring is on its way. Isn't <laughs> that wonderful? Did you know that dragonflies are predators of pests in a productive garden? I did. And damselflies and lacewings and ladybirds, which is why I encourage people not to use insecticides yes. if they can avoid it. There's a whole ecosystem out there built on insects. Mm, mm. Why do they study dinosaurs in school? Because they're extinct. Will they in years to, to come study the insects that are around today but won't be here in 50 years' time? Now, could we have a break? So we need to listen to the nine o'clock news. If we have to. Oh, the weather here in Perth at nine o'clock. Oh, no, it's not nine o'clock. Yes, it is. <laughs> oh, it's very difficult when you do Saturday and Sunday. It's nine o'clock. And in Perth, we've got 11.4 degrees. Humidity has dropped to 95%. The wind at southwest coming in at four kilometres per hour. Now, the forecast for the rest of this day, we are going to have a partly cloudy and it's, uh, partly cloudy, and it's going to be 20 degrees, which is wonderful. And Sunday, the 21st of August, we've got a minimum overnight of 8 degrees and a maximum of 20 and a partly cloudy day and only 10% chance of rain. So shall we go on to some more emails? Yes. Uh, Evelyn has sent us in a beautiful photo of her papaya tree and it's given them continuous fruit. Unfortunately, none of the fruit has seeds inside. How interesting is that? Mm. Therefore, unable to try growing a seedling. So she would like to know, is she able to take a graft from the tree? And the tree is growing too tall and with growing years, she's unable to climb it. Can she cut it? If she cuts it, will it continue to bear fruit? Oh, um, John has come in with some information for us, Evelyn, and says that it is very difficult to graft a papaya tree. Uh, The information that he's come back with is from the Rare Fruit Council of Australia, where there's quite quite a lot of detail. Leafy cuttings are taken from side shoots during the summer when the stem is still green. To take cuttings, which are at least 20 centimetres long and at least 2 centimetres in diameter, remove all the leaves except the 3 or 4 developing ones with vertical leaf stalks. At the base of the cutting, you dip it into a hormone rooting powder and this helps roots develop. Intermittent mist is applied during daylight hours to keep the leaves cool and turgid. And once rooted, the cuttings are potted in small plastic bags with drainage holes left under mist for about 10 days. Rooted cuttings should be planted as deep as possible without covering the growing 
point with soil. Now, interesting, if you were to cut back one of these trees, they can be quite hollow in the top. And I learned this the hard way many, many years ago because they can fill with water. So if, for example, you did cut off the top or if it broke in a storm, you get a, a tin can, turn it upside down and put it over the top to stop it filling up with water. It's got a, a straight trunk. So I don't know that cutting it back would encourage regrowth further down. I, I'm not too sure. This might be a subject for another day, mm. actually. Mm. There's Absolutely. quite a bit to it. Mm. Absolutely. Now, if you have any questions to, uh, you would like to ask Faye about your gardening problems, then our number here is 94841927, and we do have our lines open. And more emails, please. Now, last weekend, a message came through. Uh, it, it didn't come through to the email address. It came through as a text, I think, from a mobile it looks like, to the studio email. And unfortunately, photos do not come through that way. So this was from Donaldson. Donaldson, if you're listening, I have no way of replying to you uh, in this way. You can either call us or send an email to gardening at curtainfm.com.au. And just a reminder that curtain is C-U-R-T-I-N. Yes, not the stuff that covers your windows. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not at all. We had an interesting challenge this week. Mark sent in uh, photos and a plan. He's looking for help in his garden. So he's an avid cur curtain listener and a neighbour of Claire who we had on last weekend. He lives in the Helena Valley and has just uh, pulled apart a hop hodgepodge garden bed he's enclosed a photo it's long and narrow uh, 300 millimeters high that's 30 centimeters high raised bed approximately 1.2 meters wide and 15 meters long wow it's currently bare soil sandy soil recently dug in some pulverized cow manure the fence was cream and he's now painted aubergine, which I thought is um, a plummy colour, but it looks, the fence mm. looks blue to me. So anyway, that colour blue, I think it's called ironstone, sets off plants right. in yeah. the garden yes. beautifully. Yeah. I would highly recommend it. Anyway, he has a good reticulation system. Uh, he, he likes repetitive patterns and he was thinking... Gardenias, azaleas, hydrangeas, as the tallest shrubs have been marked along the line. Is it too hot for hydrangeas? Is it too hot for azaleas? Uh, smaller shrubs like lavender. And he loves a bit of colour in the garden. And he loves annuals. So he's looking for colour and fragrance. Now, instantly, with his description, I, I just went to tropical. And the fact that he's dug in um, and prepared some of the beds already... And fragrance, I was just thinking tropical. And with the heat that we're going to have, I I imagine that a, a canopy of frangipani would protect the lower plantings, but also give him some fragrance. So I suggested uh, cordelines and crotons. Uh, and he's done a bit of homework. He really liked the idea of crotons. They are a bit 
finicky, but if you get the growing right and they're in the right position, they can do very well. So he still wants to do his annuals and he also thinks that that will work well with the azaleas. So he's he's got a bit of a plan there. So that was a bit of fun. Yes, well, I hope he was listening to Chris um, on mm. you know improving his his uh, that huge bed that he's got. Because exactly. there's all sorts of things that you know Chris has piped up with that uh, will make his his bed just so productive. Uh, depending on when Helena Valley is that sort of a bit gravelly. Well, I I think it is. It's certainly not sandy in the same way that that we've got sand. Okay. Mm. Well, um, let's have a little break. Oh, no one like Anthony Newley to talk about strawberries. And, of course, people are preparing their, uh, their crops, well, their, um, their vegetable patches. And uh, so, you know, they're talking about um, redoing your tomato patch where you haven't planted the year before and really get it mobile now so that it can sort of sit until you then decide the best time to plant your uh, Tomato plants. I always planning have a... and preparation are everything, mm. Gillian. I tend to get my problem is that I get a sort of a funny wilt that goes on with my with my tomatoes, which is a bit of a pain, I might tell you. Uh, but sort of popping in some organised, oh, well, organic fertiliser, everything that that Chris really said. Um, and applying, you know, straw mulch. The uh, the bed will be awesome come September when you want to plant a. Some lovely tomatoes. They yes. have a lovely crop. And we've got Bob on the line. Have we? We have on line six. Have absolutely fantastic. Let's go to Bob. <laughs> we found him. <laughs> Hello, are you there, Bob? I am now, Gillian. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's absolutely wonderful. We're about to talk to Bob Hunter, chair of Cactus and Succulent Society in WA and Horticultural Council of WA. Wow. <laughs> well, Lovely to talk to you this morning, Bob. How are you today? Yeah, I'm well, thank you very much. Yeah, and being chair of all those things just, just means you don't move quick enough at an AGM, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> Were you anyway, busy putting your hand up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, it's that time of year when winter flowering aloes are bursting into bloom as well as many of the other popular succulents. Uh, but the news is not all good. Tell us what's just popped up on our pest alert scan. Well, what's popped up is um, is a thing called aloe mite. Um, and it appears that from the anecdotal evidence that it may have been around for a little while, but it's um, it's certainly been identified fairly recently. Um, someone uh, got got a plant uh, at a large store, and uh, and noticed something on it, and uh, took it to Deepherd, and they have uh, finally identified it as the yellow mite, which is um, something that's uh, not been formally recognised as being in in Australia up to this point. It's been just there've been various rumours around. Etc. But um, but now it's form- formally identified as such, and uh, and it's certainly a potentially a an issue. Um, people will be well and truly aware of the aloes around, as you said, and they're um, a very popular garden plant. And with their drying climate, they're becoming more and more popular, and they're in beautiful flower at the moment. And uh, the problem with this thing is that it's absolutely tiny. 
And like a lot of the other things that we've endured over the last <laughs> two or three years, there's also a lot of misinformation floating around. Um, one of the, the, the big issues is that it's not an insect and it's a mite. And uh, as, as you've probably been at pains to tell people in the past on this program that, that insecticides don't work on mites. So you'll find on um, social media, etc., lots of people saying, I try, I used this and da-di-da-di-da and it worked. Well, a lot of them are insecticides and, in fact, they just don't work on this beast for a couple of reasons. One is, even if it's systemic, they don't, they don't hit it the, um, the, you know, the way that it needs to be hit to, to actually kill it. And it's a microscopic little thing and it actually gets inside the tissues of the plant um, and, and causes the plant to effectively... Um, create a, a growth hormone which then causes these things called galls or as it's commonly called allocancer and uh, and that's in its advanced stages you see these, um, these fairly ugly um, growths on the plant um, and it's a, it's a tiny little thing and it can't actually move very well by itself, it's only got four little tiny legs on the front of its body um, but it's moved very easily by the wind and by our, our touching the plant and using using our tools and and then moving, you know, etc. And so that when we touch another plant and it can be moved that way very easily. Mm. So so the, 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 the sorts of things that we're telling people is number one, don't panic. Um, the it is controllable to an you know, to a fair extent. Um, the, the, the prevailing wisdom is that um, from both Deepert and from the supplier of the, the particular plant that was was, um, was was identified on is chuck the plant out, mm. which is kind of fine, um, except that you know if you, as a collector in particular, if you buy a plant that you want, um, then you don't particularly want to do that, and secondly. By the time this thing shows itself, it's already been around for a fair while, um, potentially, and it's already possibly spread to other plants in in, mm. in the area. And, oh my goodness! Uh, it, mm. So, so the the things that and there's another minor complication here in that there's nothing, there's no miticides that are written up that are actually recommended for this beast in Australia. Bob, no, could I interrupt yes, you for just a yeah, moment? Yeah, 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 sure. And uh, we have a, a break to come to. Can we um, pack you up at the after the break in a couple of moments? You bet. Thank you. Ah, oh, thank you for, uh, for waiting, uh, Bob. Go ahead. Okay. Well, oh, yeah. So the first thing is that when you, if you're going to buy a plant, the first thing to do is to is to quarantine it away from your other plants and preferably out of the wind uh, and unfortunately for up to about three months because that's how it, you may well buy the plant and it's got the the, uh, the alamite in it but the, the first signs of it are quite small and it's only uh, and you've got to look really really hard to be able to see those signs um, and what all of these things I'm talking about as well we've got we had a talk at the Cactus and Succulent Society, uh, and that's been put up on our Facebook page, CSSWA. We'll find it for you. 
and it's and uh, some of the ref, one of the main references that we used as well. So if anyone wants to check on this stuff, they can just find the Cactus and Succulent Society WA's Facebook page and have a look at it. It's it's right there. So um, quarantine the thing, and then um, when you're handling it, as I said, use use all the hygiene things. Use gloves. Clean your gloves afterwards, or dispose of them, um, and and same with your tools, etc. Um, and then keep an eye on it. And then in terms of treatment and preventative treatment and when you've got it, if you've got a plant that's got the galls and you don't want to throw it out, um, all of these treatments, it turns out, don't work very well unless you remove the galls, first mm, of all. So okay. you need to remove the galls. And then of the chemicals that appear to work overseas, and this is where we tread a bit of a fine line, as I started to say earlier, is that there's nothing actually written up for this mite in Australia, but there is evidence from overseas where they also have it uh, of a number of things that do work. Um, so we can't make recommendations for things, but we can. What we're doing is telling people what um, overseas uh, experience is showing. And interestingly enough, um, a US trial showed that carbaryl which is available in garden centres and it's now off um, off label, I think. So, some it's it's made of made by quite a number of different companies. Uh, it's a contact pesticide and it's highly effective even when you don't use a wetting agent. And three treatments over a year will keep uninfested plants, even close to infested plants, pest-free, and it killed all the mites in um, in those infested plants. But that's, you know, as I said, we can't make a recommendation. Similarly, there are quite a number of other, other more expensive in a lot of cases and more, more um, I won't say restricted, but they're available. For instance, there's, there's one that costs you um, 800 bucks for, <laughs> for three litres. And are these available to home gardeners? No, they're not no. available. Most of them, a lot of them aren't available to home gardeners, but they'll be available to people who with with nurseries or commercial growers, etc. Some of them are, but they're not. Um, they're not. When you look at the label, you won't find alumite on it. Um, but if, but overseas, that's because they haven't. No one has gone to the trouble in Australia of having the labels. You know, actually um, having the work done, done and then having the labels altered to uh, to. No, and that would make you know, sense if they hadn't yeah, yeah. Uh, identified right, yeah. that there was a press. Yeah. Um, yeah, a but you'll see there's a, there is a mm. there is a list of these these chemicals that we have our researchers found overseas appears to um, to have worked on on alumite, um, and uh, and there's also some even in some of the uh, insecticidal. Um, soaps um, are also um, pretty effective as long as you remove the galls beforehand. Um, but there's one other thing that you need to remember is that, as I said earlier, this might tricks the plant into creating this, this or use the term growth, growth factor or growth hormone. It's probably not a technically correct term, but what and that creates the galls. Once you've killed all the mites, Unfortunately, the plant's already now in this mode, and it'll continue to do to do to create create more galls. Um, so, so it's something that uh, you need to be aware of. Um, and and the, this thing also doesn't affect just aloes; it also affects hawthias and gasterias, which are 
also garden plants, but they're also collector's plants as well, but not quite to the same visually visually extent, if you like. Um, there's marks on it and there's dots on it and there's things like that. But it's still got the mite there and it can still then spread it to your aloes and so on too. Mm. Well, thank you for providing all that detailed information, Bob. Um, amazing work. And congratulations and thank you to the person who went to the trouble of getting it identified through Deep Herd because without uh, without that person, we wouldn't be able to take this proactive approach mm-hmm. and let everyone know what to look out for. Now, I wouldn't expect people to go out to their gardens and, and identify it, but they might look at their plants, uh, see something that doesn't look quite normal and that would flag the awareness to, to snap a photo and to share it uh, with the Cactus and Succulent Society and or Deep Herd so that we can monitor the spread. That's right. And if I have a look at that, that, um, that presentation that's on our Facebook page has got lots and lots of photos of um, what you, you're likely to see if, it's a, if it is an infection, including some of, the, um, some of the early signs as well. Exactly. Oh, well, thanks for that, Bob. Now, on another note, we do have some sad news. And this week we learnt of the passing of Anne Laws, who many gardeners would know through the Cactus and Succulent Society. I first met her through the Palm and Cycad Society many, many years ago. And she was an amazing lady who who loved plants and created uh, the... Palm Lake Garden in Wattleup, which is attached to Wattleup Wholesale Nursery, which she ran and managed before her daughter took over. And Anne was just an advert for life be in it. She came and, and sold uh, succulents at my place in one of my early open days many, many years ago. And I remember the beautiful purple tablecloth and the way she presented it. She was here, there and everywhere. She had a lot of energy. She turned up at John's open day in Jandicott with dozens of scones that she'd made. And anyone who had met or come across her would know what a live, live why she was from gold prospecting to growing and selling plants, moving plants, you name it. Um, and she will be very sadly missed. Correct. Yeah, and I think yeah, she was a, a, a the ultimate plant person, but she was also an ultimate people person, as you've kind of hinted at there. And so, I know both from the Cactus and Succulent Society's um, perspective, where she hosted quite a number of, of our monthly meetings there. She hosted a sale there, but um, but in that process, uh, and she did that for lots of other societies as well, lots of other plant clubs and societies. Um, but in the process, she she made lots and lots of contacts, and would you believe she supported a number of people to 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 create their own nurseries. Wow. Now you think that a, a nursery person would would think, no, this is this is going to be competition. No, she encouraged young younger people, uh, one in particular, to create their own own dream, as as as, as they say, and um and and it's now a very very um, and not a competitor, but you know, but a very um, popular nursery. Um, and and uh, you know, you you mentioned gold prospect. I remember when I first made contact with her many many years ago, 
um, that I wanted to line up a situation, you know, uh, for the society to, to meet there. And I had a mobile number for her, so I wrote her mobile number. And I was talking to her there, and it sounded like she was outside somewhere. So I said, where are you? She said, I'm at the back of Leonora where golf press plus <laughs> So she and, and John, her husband, um, had had this absolutely magnificent beast of a of a vehicle that they used as a camper, uh, and they went out and you know extended gold prospecting um, trips and so on. Unfortunately, she then lost John, um, and that knocked her pretty flat for a while. And then she pulled herself back out of that and uh, and, and made a, a absolute fit, you know wonderful fist of the nursery. Um, continued to host uh, you know societies and clubs and make make contacts and friends, and then, lo and behold, she got cancer herself. So um, even during that process, she was very public about it, um, went on to trips yeah, with a new she, mate. She and, will um, be and, sorely yeah. missed. She was just yeah, the yeah, life of yeah. everything. Thank you for yeah. sharing your memories with mm, us today, Bob. Lady. And uh, Thank yeah, you, condolences Bob. to her families. Thank you, Bob, yes, very much. Very much. Involved with the Cactus and Succulent Society of WA. Thank you for all your information. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, bye, bye for now. Bye bye. <laughs> now we have hopefully on the phone Karen of. Yes, yes. I'm oh, still here. <laughs> Morning, My Karen. Good. How that, are you? That button worked. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now I'm, I'm listening to someone like Bob, you know, it's almost frightening how more pests are coming in all the oh. time. And, and, um, and you, you just, say you just said if, if something in your garden doesn't look uh, quite normal, there are lots of things which don't look normal in my garden. <laughs> Most of it doesn't look normal. Oh, dear. Um, I'm, I'm so glad that I, I unfortunately missed a part of it of the beginning when this gentleman was talking about citrus trees, citrus trees, yeah, because I had my gardener here, so... Uh, I now I realize why my 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 uh, lemon trees um, all the all the leaves getting so yellow, but I can't dig, can't get anything into the ground. The ground is is uh, is too too dense. I just can't. Yes. Besides besides, I have got a very uh, a very thin layer of ground cover on it, and can I spray can I spray just over the leaves? Will that help? Uh, flowers it, at the moment. I'm quite surprised. Yes, it w it will help, Karen. Uh, the thing the thing about a liquid is it it's quite instant. It won't give a, a prolonged sustained feed, but that's where uh -huh. the the controlled release fertilizer comes in. So certainly, um, give it give it a, a foliar feed. Don't expect yeah. too much right now because it still is cool, but it will have some benefit. And of course, you can also use your your seaweed products; they would yeah, also be I, beneficial. Yeah, I do it anyway because I, yeah. I put some granules around it. I thought with the rain it will all dissolve, but I don't know whether it helped. I mean, they're still yellow the leaves because <laughs> but the soil is still cool and the temperature is kind of intermittent. You know, we we go from almost frost to uh, only 20 degrees, but their ambient temperature is still cool. So, yeah, okay. it'll come good in spring. Okay, hopefully. Can I just quickly ask you something else? I've got a big uh, Norfolk Island pine in front of the house, which we planted in the wrong spot at the wrong time, which is about uh, 15, 20 metres high. I'm, I'm just wondering that, uh, at the bottom of the trunk, uh, which is pretty the bare, but they're coming little, little branches out, little twigs. Do I really have to... 
to uh, get, uh, rip them off all the time. I don't want to. I haven't got time. <laughs> just leave them. If you haven't it got time, matter. just it's leave just, them. It, it just might take some sap out of the, uh, some, some nutrients out of the tree, but uh, it won't hurt the tree. I don't think it will. It's too big. It's, it keeps growing. It's getting fatter. <laughs> if, if you've got the time, if they look unsightly, you could go in and cut them off with secateurs and the tree should heal itself if it's healthy. Um, mm-hmm. But, don't be burdened by it, Karen. Just do what you can do. Okay. Good. Great. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks. Um, I love your show. Thank you so much for, for all the information. You're welcome. Bye Thank for you. now. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Thank you, Karen. Loved hearing from you. Now, we have a... Uh, we, we better talk about bigger trees. And we have a prize, a wonderful prize, a 75 dollar gift voucher with the compliments of Kerry Spriggs from Bigger Trees to give away. Now the immaculate, fabulous and family run Bigger Tree Nursery has a $75 gift voucher up for grabs. Spring is just around the corner so it's time to explore those huge range of ornamental fruit trees and fruit trees. Oh, and everything in between. It's a gorgeous nursery, isn't it? It certainly is. Great indoor plants too. Bare rooted stock has been planted up and ready to go. Now, if you haven't won a prize with us over the last 28 days and you can answer this question, which is, in their song, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, the Beatles asked you to picture yourself in a boat on a river and what sort of trees and marmalade skies were there? (laughs) Well, very, very good luck to you there, I must say. And uh, so I forgot to give you Bev's phone number to tell you who it was. <laughs> Bev is on the telephone, 94841927. Now we have uh, any more emails? We, we have do. a before a we break do. in a moment. We have an email from John and Sandy and they are hoping that we can help identifying this plant. They planted out this um a Dracaena about five years ago. Someone tried to steal it a few months ago but couldn't get it out of the ground or was disturbed. They found it lying on its side in the morning and it has developed a large scar on its trunk. Would we know what the problem is? Oh gosh, this tree stealing is just off the radar. Disgusting behaviour from people. No respect. Um, the, the tree is a Dracaena Draco or dragon tree and they are sought after they do go for amazing amounts of money and Anne who we spoke of a little while ago I remember one that she had in her garden so advanced so mature because that was what they did they transported large trees around anyway this has scarred down the bottom and uh, I think possibly when we've talked to Chris Oliver before about how a tree likes to heal itself. The damage that's done at the bottom of this, uh, it it does look like it has sealed. But if you were to get a sharp knife, uh, a, a grafting knife, or maybe even a potato peeler, you may be able to scrape down those wounded sides. And what that does is it encourages the tree to heal. So it will try to repair itself and it will actually grow across that area. So uh, that you could try that. Um, trees are amazing at, at healing themselves. There was a photograph the other day of uh, some people hacking 
done a piece of cactus. It's a beautiful cactus in Cottesloe. And it's sort of a feature against a wall. And it's beautiful. And then they came in with sort of like a machete and just chopped up a piece and took it away. What? It wasn't one of the um, no, Apuntia's round paddle no, leaf? No, no, no. One of those wrong skinny jobs. Okay, we've got a break. <laughs> I had no idea what sort of cactus it was. Captain Radio. Ah, you're listening to Gardening uh, here at Curtain Radio and, of course, Faya Caro is here to answer your questions. And we have a winner for our beautiful $75 voucher at Bigger Trees and that happens to be Wendy and she lives in Maylands. Congratulations, Wendy. You are going to love going up to Bigger Trees. Absolutely. Now, we also have... Do you want to give the answer? Well, I want to give the answer. The answer to the quiz question. Oh, I beg your pardon. It was <laughs> Changerine. It was. There's so much to think of on this show. Thank you for filling in for Ray. She <laughs> makes it look so easy, but there's lots of things. There's breaks to get oh, to. Man. There's callers. There's guests. There's me <laughs> leaving phone numbers off the run sheet. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> there's me not ringing, <laughs> reading through the whole thing. Oh, my goodness. Okay, let's have a listen to uh, uh, Margaret. And Margaret's in Parmelia and she wants to talk about her ponytail tree. Hello there, Margaret. Uh, can we hear us? Hi, Faye. Yes, I'm here. Yes. Hello. Hi, Faye. Hi. Um, I'm ringing up about a, a ponytail, which is about 12 foot high. Now, uh, my neighbour wanted it, so I said he could have it. So he removed it. But in removing it, he's ringbarked it by oh. two thirds. What, up the top or down uh, the bottom? On the trunk, round the trunk. Unfortunately, the big swollen base. Yeah, no, on the trunk, not on, oh, the, okay. not on the base. Uh, but it, it's about two thirds ringbarked. It's not totally. But mm. I did ring up the ar- the arbiter tree place, mm. the tree place, and he said to get some. Um, Repair some tree repair, tree wound repair, wound seal. Okay, right. Uh, it's black, and he's has sprayed it with wound seal. I'm just wondering. I'm I'm really wanting to know: is it going to be salvageable? Is it going to repair, or is there anything else I can do for it, for it? It is such a shame. It's, he was absolutely devastated. Oh yes, that is. Oh. But they can be so hard to manage, can't they? The weight of they, them and the size. Well, he used a high. He used. He put a nice big strap around it mm. and used a high ab, and it went chop 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 chop, and all of a sudden, shoom, it slipped, and it's 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 ring back two thirds of it. Okay. <laughs> and he he could have cried, but I said, well, look, what I'll do is I'll ring up the tree people and see what we can do, and they he did suggest that we get this wound seal, which is. Which he did straight away, and he sprayed it. So, so is that like a a, a steri prune? It's 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 black, and it's like a a tar type thing. Okay, is it um, a filler or is it just a sealer? No, I think it's just a sealer. Okay, all right. It sounds like the steri prune, which we we used to use on uh, fruit tree pruning. Although we've gone away from that now because trees do seem to pre- uh, repair themselves. Uh, as right. So the plant, the ponytail, is Bocania, B-E-A-U-C-A-R-N-E-A. Yes. 
Um, mm. It won't kill the plant itself. And what I suspect might happen is you may actually get shoots from that damaged uh-huh. area. Okay. But right. the, it yeah. won't affect the base. Okay. And it will so keep it's growing. Not die on it's not no. Die on no, they are so tough. That's what I was worried. The, uh, the I base, they were tough. The base is what stores the, the moisture. Yes. And yes. Yeah. No, I don't think you could kill one of those. Oh, okay. You tried. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I thought to myself, oh dear, with all this, you know, all the trouble that you went to to get it out and hire the high ab, and it's just, it just went chugging down the street. And I, oh gosh, you know what's happened, you know? And he was absolutely devastated. So I thought, well, um, is there anything else he should do for the? He's he's covered it with Glad Wrap. Is that the wrong thing to do or the right thing to do? The, the actual um, wound. I. I don't know what would happen. It, it's just as likely to develop roots at that point with glad wrap because you mm. that that is how they layer plants. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I wouldn't worry about putting glad wrap on. I would right. just let let it heal itself, particularly if it's been sprayed with a wound repair. Yes, it has. Yes, right. he, he went straight away to Bunnings and got mm. some wound repair stuff, then sprayed it. So it's got a big. It looks like a. Uh, one of those cows, you know, the black banded Frisian cows <laughs> with a big black band around it. So, looks, yeah, no, I mean, he's done the right thing. And I thought, oh, I'll just ring up to see whether it is going to survive. Hopefully it will. So you said yes, it will. It, so, it will survive, Margaret. Let us know yes. what happens at that point. It, I, mm. I expect it may put out some shoots from that point. Oh, okay. Oh, mm. midway. Oh, that'll be all right. He won't mind that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, anything? Do you think the soil? Uh, I I suggested putting sea soil around it. That wouldn't yeah. wouldn't hurt. That is uh, mm. a a good product to use at any time of year. Yeah. But honestly, it, it wouldn't matter what you did with it. It's going to survive. I'm sure. Oh, it's, they're as tough as old boots. Okay. Yes. Oh, well, that's wonderful. Thanks, Faye. Okay. Oh, well, You're I'll welcome. be able to give him the good news. <laughs> okay. Thank All you. right, have a lovely day, Faith. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Um, one of the things with those elephant foot trees, the ponytail, is that all that moisture that it keeps in that, you know, big thing looks like an elephant foot at, the, mm. at its base. It sure does. So all of that, it's still going to get, if she's only been ring barked for three quarters of the trunk. And it's it's further up. It mm. won't stop it growing. No, no, I think so. And... So, um, now we've got a break coming up in about a minute. Have you got a short email? I can tell you there's a couple of events coming up. I can tell you what's on. And uh, we've received an email from Lynn, and she's hoping that we can pass on information about the Wattle Day Heritage and Art Fair. And this will be held in Windsor Park on Saturday the 3rd of September. So it's a date for your diary, folks. And it's at 111 Mill Point Road in South Perth. So I've got a flyer here. There is, um, what is it? City of South Perth Historical Society Incorporated, Art Museum and Local History, Gallery and Shop Open. It's on from 10 to 4 at the original Village Green and Built Heritage, Windsor Park and Heritage Buildings, on Pline Air Art Competition and Demonstration. This is where artists 
go out into the open and just set up and, and paint. So that will be, That'll be lovely great. to see. A little bit like the Champs-Élysées in France. Wow. Yes. <laughs> if we can't travel, we can talk about travel, we can. can't we? We can. There will be a white elephant stall, Wattle Way Let's Draw Together activity, Fairy Tram and May Gibbs Gumnut activities, Sausage Sizzle, Devonshire Teas, Village Green Games and more. So bring your picnic rug, chairs and enjoy a fun time on the green. How wonderful does that sound? Excellent. Thank you. And after the break, we'll have more of your gardening show. Curtain Radio. Ah, uh, here we're back on the gardening show and we're coming almost to the pointy end or the blunt end of the show. <laughs> And um, you wanted to talk about Zimbidian orchids. Well, Maggie from Mandra has called in to say that her orchids are in flower now. I'm, I mentioned October, uh, but hers have already flowered and she's cut the dead spikes off this week. So Zimbidiums, I, I think, can flower over a range of times. I just remember buying lots in October, but certainly I've, I've got some early flowering ones that have still in full bloom and have been for weeks. The orchid shows are on around the place at the moment. They've been on last weekend and, um, yeah, there's orchid shows everywhere. They're just really doing their thing. And before too long, we'll have the, the plant fair and then we'll have the garden festival. And on right now, Gillian, what kicked off yesterday was Yates Springtime at Araluen oh, and I was up there for gorgeous. the official opening. It, it's gorgeous. The early tulips are out in bloom and uh, Susie opened the event and the park is looking amazing. They've had some, some challenges recently. I know that they've cleaned out the, the big water lily pond mm. uh, along the boardwalk. The tulips are in bloom. There's so many spring bulbs and camellias and it is a world-class camellia garden. And there's news on that front too about it being on the world stage. Oh, and fabulous. next weekend we will be speaking to Susie about Araluen and the camellias and bulbs and and tulips. So we look forward to that. And that opens when? It's it's open. It's open seven days a week. Uh, so, but the spring fair is on now. Okay. And with all the sunshine, all those uh, beautiful tulips will probably come in. Open up a bit more, won't they? Well, they will. They always plant early, mid and late season blooms. So there's a succession and certainly it's already started and it will be on for weeks and weeks to come. Well, provided the weather doesn't hammer them too much. They don't like hail uh, and they are quick to finish when the warm weather comes. So, It it must be an absolute masterpiece to actually know that you've got the fair it's locked in and you want those flowers to start blooming and when yes. you're going to plant them and oh, it must well, be a nightmare Bianca from Yates gave a talk yesterday and they, they also went through some of the history and 30 years ago they were you know announcing that 10,000 bulbs were planted uh, Gillian now they're up to around 120,000 so what what a show. And Araluen is such a special place. It's got a lot of history. Mm. Uh, it's a botanic park. And the age of the trees in that garden, the camellias are looking spectacular. The, the tree ferns, the running water, there's places to eat and picnic. It's just 
beautiful. Beautiful. Mm. Now, talking about cymbidium orchids, are they this, uh, is my little moth orchid a cymbidium? No, that's oh. a phalaenopsis. Oh. <laughs> moth orchids are phalaenopsis. Oh, oh Gillian. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, yes, I'll back one of those at the gallops next week. And, yes, they're very popular for indoor plants. And the blooms on those last weeks they're and stunning. weeks. Yes. Actually, I saw the other day where a spike had been cut down. So the flowering spike had been cut down and the stems had been put in a plastic bag with a little bit of uh, sphagnum moss. They rooted. Oh. <gasps> Mm. Well, I might tell you that my little pot on my on the outside table is hopelessly neglected, except I do pour banana juice on it, you know, chop up the bananas, put them in a jar, put some water on them, mm. and it goes off milky. And apparently it's good food for orchids. Well, bananas are very high in potassium, mm. and flowering plants love and need potassium. Okay. So well, the other day, to my surprise, I came out and there are three spikes Ooh. On my on my moth orchid, and I thought oh, miracles happen. <laughs> <laughs> now I saw a bit of feedback this week from someone who had tried the beer in the saucer method, mm. and um, they reported that it didn't work. Was you know, that this, for those uh, mold crickets. Well, no, this was for slugs and snails. And this lady walked around her garden, filling up her beer traps, and she <laughs> she, she said it didn't work. She. And she wondered why it didn't work. And as she looked behind, she saw her husband trailing behind, sipping up all the beer. <laughs> I don't believe you. Oh, why not? <laughs> you can just see him crawling around the garden going, oh, young. <laughs> all right. Fact okay. or fiction? Yes, yes. Uh, well, I'll leave that up to you. <laughs> mm. So what should we be doing in the garden now? Uh, well, we've had a lot of rain. And who has... Been out or not been out, tidying up things around their garden. Pop plants, saucers, things blown over, rubbish lids catching water, mm. all breeding grounds for mosquitoes. mosquitoes. Mm. So go around your garden, empty out all the water catchment areas, top up your soil, do your, your Sara Lee garden under all your fruit trees and have a go at building up that soil to hold all that moisture and nutrient like Chris and now Oliver we, was talking we were going about. To, we've got pages of stuff we've from got Chris. Notes. Chris um, and also, we could go on to his, web, his um, website, couldn't we? Which I is the, don't know see? that he has a website. Oh, well, it's a... No, Facebook. Yes, but I don't know that he posts on Facebook. He does. He said you're going to CSSWA. No, no, that's help. Bob. That's succulents. Oh, well, forget about it. Mm. Yes. All right. Uh, but the, as far as the ally mite goes, I've also shared the uh, the presentation and information with images about the ally mite to the Let's Talk Gardening page. Mm. And it's also on WA Garden Buddies, which is a new Facebook group. Lots of good information there. Uh, it's time to manage weeds. Mm. Get out there and make a dent in them. Uh, I know last year we, we sort of tackled them at this time and then we got more rain and we got more sunshine and another bumper crop. Mm. So my tip is once you have weeded, drop on some mulch and just keep keep the ground smothered and you should get through to summertime before. Mm. My garden's really good weeds. at growing weeds. Well, good soil, 
has good ways and they will always blow in from somewhere absolutely now i also noticed that there was a sign to say when you're pruning and cutting be careful and look in your trees because there might be a bird's nest there Mm, it is that time as we discussed now last weekend we got a call from florence about a she'd seen a little red bird or red-breasted bird in her garden and claire and i both said well I know in my garden, we don't see the robin redbreast. They are a bit further out. I know they've been at Banjup. But there is a bird called the mistletoe bird. And it's very interesting. It has a beautiful red breast, and it feeds off mistletoe. Now, mistletoe is a parasitic plant that grows on only certain species of some wattles. So this little bird eats a little mistletoe berry and it has a very primitive digestive system. So before too long, it's pooping out the little berry, which if it collects on a suitable host tree, the the berry actually develops roots or a, a holding capacity around the trunk and grows a mistletoe plant. But do we have mistletoe? We w? do. We w? do. What does we it do? look like? It if you were looking at an acacia and you noticed a different foliage, and it might be a weeping foliage. Mm-hmm. In fact, it does look like a weeping foliage, like a ripsalis growing in a wattle tree. And it has, I think they're little yellow flowers that age to red, followed by berries. And then if you've got mistletoe, you might then also have the scarlet Jezebel butterfly who lays its eggs on the mistletoe. And oh that is its larval food plant. Oh, my goodness. Well, I think that that sort of brings our Let's Talk Gardening today to a close. So thank you, everyone who made your calls. Uh, Thank you, Faye Arcaro, my co-presenter, and also thank you to Chris Oliver and Bob Hunter today for imparting their wealth of knowledge and their listeners. Wasn't that fabulous? Uh, John Glidden, our guru on the computer, and, of course, PA out there, Bev, on the telephones. Thank you both for your time. I'm Gillian Bush, and it's time to hand over the chair to our very own effervescent Mr George Minaldi, who will take you through to (laughs) midday. So till then, enjoy your gardening. The thought for today, gardening is a medicine that doesn't need a prescription and has no limit of dosage. See you on tomorrow breakfast. We hope you've enjoyed listening to another edition of Let's Talk Gardening on Curtain Radio. Happy gardening.